There is a long-standing tradition of applying economics to football. It's decades old, and I want to do a little bit of that about the draft and how the draft is an auction market. Get ready for a weird one. It's the Locked On Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show wherever. You listen to your favorite podcasts. You can even find it on YouTube or Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the uh, Locked On Minnesota Sports app. This is going to be a a weirder one. I want to talk about like draft philosophy. I want to zoom out a little bit. And in particular, this is something that I've been saying for a long time, and I certainly uh, did not come up with this myself, but it's something that I, I think is a really good way to put it, is the draft is an auction. Um, it is an auction market. And I'm speaking like strictly in the the economic sense of, you know, auction markets. Auction markets work very differently than normal markets. Like free agency is is a different normal market. And I want to kind of talk um, about how dynamics change. So here's how this is going to work. Uh, first, I want to just explain what I mean by an, an auction market and how it, like an auction market works. And then actually applying that to the draft. And then I want to kind of circle it all around with how we can use that particular idea to evolve the way we think about approaching the draft, how teams should approach the draft. I think right now, most of the national consciousness of the draft is based on, and I do this a lot too, what position everyone should take when, right? When you see a mock draft, and until I like understand and know the names, I definitely do this. So this is not this is something I'm guilty of. But when I when I see a mock draft, it's really easy for me to look at it and say, scroll down to the Vikings pick, and then did they pick a player at the position I want them to pick? And if yes, then I like the mock. And if no, then I I don't like the mock. <laughs> and I think people can be guilty of that, right? And, and even some of those mock drafts, like if you look at the, the little paragraphs that somebody like, I don't know, Todd McShay or whatever will put in their little blurb that they put with their pick, they'll go, hey, these guys need a tight end. And so I, I mocked this tight, this is a good tight end. And it's like, that's the only analysis, right? Um, so I want to evolve that particular portion of it. Of course, it's all about the players and their evaluations individually, but that's such a high volume game too. Um, so what do I mean by this? I want you to imagine a like a fruit market, right? You go and you buy strawberries. And everybody, for the most part, who wants a strawberry can get a strawberry until you run out of strawberries. But theoretically in the world, or at least in the U.S., if you want a strawberry, you can go get a strawberry pretty much anywhere, right? Um, there is a dynamic of depending on how many people want strawberries and how many strawberries there are, the price of strawberries will kind of fluctuate and then the stock of strawberries and what how strong is the strawberry market. That's a normal market, right? That's economics 101. An auction market is a little different. I want you to compare it to like an art auction. If you're at an art auction, there 
if multiple people want a painting, only one person gets to have that painting. And that is the first most important thing that I want people to understand here. The goal should be, when you're evaluating draft players, to be correct about them, I would assume, right? Your goal should be to properly evaluate that player. If I say that player has a second round grade and then he turns out to be a first round player, I was wrong, right? And if he turns out to be a third round player, I was wrong. But if he's a second round player, I was right. The goal should be to, you know, be as accurate as possible. But whoever's wrong and thinks that player is a first round player is the one who's going to get him. Because that is, you know, that's if you're willing to spend a first round pick, you get to pick him before the second round people go. Um, and com again, compare that to an art auction, right? If there's a, a little painting uh, that, you know, looks like it was scribbled by me in crayon uh, of a squirrel, and it looks bad, but somebody decides they're going to pay $25 million for it. Well, that guy gets it for $25 million, even though he's incredibly wrong about how much that thing is valued at. And that is a key part of, of the draft. That probably isn't news to anybody, but that's part of something you have to keep in mind. The person who gets the player is not the person who's most right about the player. It's the person who's highest on the player. But the other problem here is unlike an art auction, you know, an art auction, everybody comes with a whole bunch of perfectly liquid cash, which means perfectly flexible. If you want to spend $5, you can spend $5. If you want to spend 10 you can spend 10 If you want to spend a million, you can spend a million if you have that much money. Um, there are no increments, right? There's no limits, and, and it's all perfectly flexible. But in the draft, it doesn't quite work that way. If you have pick 23, but you have a player you want to spend pick 15 on, well, you don't have pick 15, so you have to hope he makes it to 23 or you have to try to trade up. And that's where the trade charts come in. Um, but those are like the two kind of key things with an auction market that separate it from something like free agency, which is like a, a, a standard market. In a sense and in a perfect world, you could use trades to move up and down the draft board as you see fit, as you see appropriate. Hey, I have pick 23, but I want to get up to 15. I'll call up whoever's, I think this is the Packers, 16. Uh, we'll call up the Commanders instead. Uh, and, and we'll get to 16. We can find some kind of trade. But if you look at the trade charts, that isn't always easy to do because what it costs to get from 23 to 16 might be a second round pick and the Vikings don't have one. Or more commonly, it would be, you know, hey, the perfect pick to trade here would be pick 33, but I only have pick 45. That's my second rounder. So does, this doesn't work. Maybe I have to add something else. And I think sometimes a fun little math puzzle is to go on whatever trade chart you're looking at and try to figure out, okay, if I have 23 and I want to get to 10, what combination of my picks and your picks can create the like right net difference? I don't know. That's a math geek thing that I, I kind of find enjoyable. The draft order is not that flexible, right? There's a rigidity to it. And this is further complicated from the idea of it just kind of being like an art auction where everybody's just um, buying paintings. You know, when you're buying a painting, you kind of know its value if you're you know, a good enough art curator or whatever, you know what this thing is worth more or less, or a better way to put it is, is it has a static worth. There is no range of outcomes for that painting. It just kind of is what it is. Players are not, they're not objects, right? <laughs> they're people that 
have dynamics and stuff and that range of outcomes is what you're purchasing and and so this is going to be more of a like an overall kind of musing meandering draft philosophy episode but when we hear about you know uh, you, you got to take a swing at that ceiling we have to understand that you're also drafting the possibility that that guy just never works out right you are exposing yourself to outcomes where you're drafting Kellen Mons who are off the team in two years. And you have to kind of understand that and, and, and value it properly. It's sort of like if you auctioned a bunch of stocks um, and what the future holds for them, you can speculate about and you can study. And if you're really smart, you might be really good at guessing, but you ultimately are still playing into probabilities. And you'll hear like Quasi Dopamensa say stuff about this, like, you know, decision making under uncertainty is the way that he he talks about this. And really, that's just probabilistic decision making. But within that structure of there is only one version of this asset, right? There's only one Anthony Richardson. Only one team gets Anthony Richardson. And that team is going to be the one that is A, highest on him, right? Most willing to spend high amounts of draft capital on him and B, the team that actually has that capital to spend, which can change at will, but you are kind of, you know, swimming upstream trades take two to tango. And there are worlds where, you know, Hey, I would love to do this trade. It works out on all the charts. We have exact change, but I don't want to, I actually really like this guy on the board and I'm just going to pick him. And then you, you know, you miss out, right? So all of that stuff factors into the way the draft works. And and I don't think any of that is like news to you or anything, but I think it's good to think about it in the abstract a little bit sometimes uh, outside of the realm of positional value, what the Vikings needs are right now, what players we like, is this a good class or a bad class or all this stuff. And just sort of think on the broadest, broadest, broadest sense, just sort of muse about how it works. I guess that's what I'm doing. But part of my draft philosophy kind of stems from that. So I really wanted to start there. And I will go into that draft philosophy in just a little bit. But first, if you have your own draft philosophy, you can put that sucker to the test with Ultimate Football GM. It is a game that you can find on the App Store or by going to ultimate-gm.com. It's a video game uh, that is basically football team simulator. Uh, you can have to do the draft, free agents, figure out contracts, get under a salary cap, hire the right coaches, and then see if your team actually, you know, goes through, wins games, wins the Super Bowl. You uh, can even, like, you can draft a player, win a bunch of Super Bowls with him. He retires. You can hire him as a coach, win more Super Bowls with him. You can take it on. You can even start your own league amongst friends. We have one amongst all of us Locked On hosts. And right now, Locked On Vikings listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps, so make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. Thanks so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. When you're done with this here show, go check out LockedOnPodcasts.com slash newsletters and check out Luke Inman's draft newsletter. You can sign up to a bunch of newsletters there, but uh, Luke Inman, of course, Vikings fan, draft diehard, doing a draft newsletter. Go check it out. Um, So 
I, I wanted to kind of start with that real abstract stuff, but let's get into some more concrete draft philosophy. I, I talk a lot about this. Speaking of Luke Inman, I got this phrase from him. Go get your guys. Um, hashtag GGYGs. I, I love that philosophy because it really does tend to work out that way, right? If you have your guys that you're in love with, that you swear by, go get them. If you try to nickel and dime extra bits of value in theory and on paper, that works, right? If you have a guy that you're in love with and you take him at pick 20, that he is no different a player than if you pick him at, you know, pick 23, but you just have taken that much of an extra risk to not get him. And when thinking probabilistically, you do have to kind of benchmark it out over time. Um, you know, the idea of if, if I'm going to play a game with you where, where we just like flip coins and try to call them, you're going to be better at predicting who wins that game. If you're allowed to change your prediction after every flip, if that makes sense, you know, um, and when we're evaluating kind of draft process and when we're approaching the draft process, we can do the same thing as the board falls. There is a chance that the Carolina Panthers take CJ Stroud. There's a chance they take Bryce Young, right? There's a chance they take Anthony Richardson or whoever. Um, those chances, we can quibble over whether it's 60-40 one way or, or, or whatever, but ultimately we do not know who those guys are going to 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 take and because we don't know that we have to be prepared for all manner of outcomes including but not limited to the outcome where all of our favorite players go what do we do there so this is where i'm at i'm sort of changing my mind a little bit on a take like in real time here with uh, with will levis my take was i probably wouldn't take him at 23 because i don't think that he uh, is likely enough to improve upon Kirk Cousins for him to be my first-round quarterback that I want to replace Kirk Cousins, right? That's my my kind of my take there. If you want more on that take, you can go listen to the actual show about that. But for now, if you disagree, that's totally fine, but just bear with me. Um, but if he is the quarterback that's left, right? Let's say Richardson, Stroud, Young, all go in the top four, and he's the quarterback that's left, and he's available at 23, instead of saying, well, hmm, I bet I can trade back three spots and then maybe pick him after and I can maybe eke an extra fourth round pick out of this. Well, not necessarily because now you've taken an additional risk uh, and you might lose what you had, right? So just just get your guy if he's your guy. For my, like my guy is Devin Witherspoon. If Devin Witherspoon falls to the 15-ish, 16-ish range, I have absolutely no problem with moving up and going and get that guy because I just love that dude that much. Uh, and... You know, I like Cam Smith a lot too. Perfectly happy with Cam Smith at 23. But I think that there is something to this is an auction. Go make the biggest bid on the thing you want the most. This is also probably a good time to mention the whole thing about trading down. So, for those who are unfamiliar, trading down historically has had an incredible success rate when compared to the teams that you traded up with. The team that trades up loses the trade a lot more than the team that trades down when all is said and done. And that shouldn't surprise you when you think about these picks as probabilistic things, right? As people with a range of outcomes that can do great and work hard and, and improve. And, you know, they learn whatever thing that they, you know, had to learn. 
I, I guess that's sort of the 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 traitsy thing that I I've been musing on. That I, I'm realizing I'm a lot less stoked on traits than I used to be on physical traits. You know, I, I feel like you could take the perfect body for a position and put the brain of a high school football player into him, and that dude just would not make it in the NFL because you just have to have the ability to do stuff. And with traits say, you know, size, like big bodied wide receivers, right? That's a trait. When you're a receiver with a, with a 6'3", 220 pound frame or something, there's a big body guy. Okay, that's a good trait. Why is that a good trait? What does that imply? Well, that implies that he's probably going to be good at contested catches, that he's going to be a good blocker, that he's going to be good at fighting through contact downfield. All of those things are important skills for a wide receiver to have. And if you have a big body, you'll have an easier time with them. All right, great. But if we were given the choice between a guy with a big body and a guy who didn't have a big body but was good at all of those things, which would we pick? Wouldn't we pick the guy who's good at all of those things? Um, and so I, I feel like that can help, I don't know, reduce some variance. I, this is, again, just a meandering through my draft philosophies episode, but that's another big one is don't scout for traits. Scout for the skills that those traits imply. Are you good at stuff? Not do you have the kind of uh, testing measurables and do you have the profile of a guy who is probably good at stuff? There's too much probably, too much probability in the draft already. We need to try to remove some. And that's the job of a scout. Now, is that scout right? Is that scout wrong? Hey, if that was an easy job, then uh, the draft wouldn't be nearly as interesting as it is. But that's the world that we live in. So treating these these draft picks as, as probabilistic assets with a range of outcomes, to circle this back around to, to trading down, um, when you trade down, you split into multiple things. And hey, anybody who's ever invested in an index fund, you're basically doing the same thing there or into a mutual fund or something, or maybe you're paying someone to do that stuff uh, to make those decisions. But if you ask any stock person... Um, you know, if you're going to purchase a stock, don't just put $100 into one stock, put $1 into 100 stocks and hope that the market on the whole makes you, you know, 3% more than it loses you. Um, you're going to get a huge range of outcomes when you buy into, say, a, a, an index fund or something like that. Some of those stocks will tank. Some of those stocks will take off. And now you don't need to know which ones are better because you spread them all out. And that is the point of trading down it's um there there is you know that where if if my goal is to get a fantastic player one shot in the first round has whatever probability uh, one shot in the second round has a little bit less probability but two shots at that less probability probably have a better chance on the whole of finding a good player right and that's the the whole debate about you know, would you rather have like two picks in the third round or pick number 12? Um, I think that gets a little bit more extreme, but that's sort of at the crux of that like logic. And it, it, it's a matter of at what point does the lower pick have such a, a low probability of working out that it's no longer worth it to have two. And that's what the trade charts I think are kind of for. Um, but it's just a way to mitigate risk. If I need a, a tackle and I draft two tackles, 
or it, the best example of this might be Kirk Cousins himself with with RG three back in 2012, right? Uh, Washington needed a quarterback. They drafted RG three. They also drafted Kirk Cousins. RG three gets hurt. That was one of his outcomes, right? That's that, you know, he has an injury riddled career and and he's never the same guy that you drafted, you know, that he was in college and, and you don't get that. But one of Kirk Cousins' outcomes is he, you know, figures out some of the stuff he needed to figure out and he goes into becoming an actual starting caliber quarterback for you. And then you get to to do that. And now you're into franchise tag contract negotiations. Both of them hit on an outcome that they were in, but because Washington had two different picks at the position, they had two different rolls of the dice and you'd always rather roll. A, you'd rather have two shots at the thing, right? Um, that's, that's the whole point of doing that. So that's one way to mitigate risk is trading down. And historically it's just bears out. That doesn't mean the, the team that trades up never wins, right? There have been times, you know, uh, the, the Falcons trading up for Julio Jones. That's a great example that worked out fantastic for them. Got a great player for a long time. There's one other, I guess, economic uh, concept that I want to go over with you, which you're probably familiar with called opportunity cost that also kind of applies a lot more in a draft context, an auction context than in a more like standard market. So we will get into that as well. Before I do that, though, I want to quickly talk to you about FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. You can gramble at FanDuel on NBA games, NHL games. You can try to pick the winners, spreads, money lines. You can pick three-point scorers, goal scorers. You can even parlay all kinds of stuff there into one big uh, bet with maybe a, a bigger, better payout. Of course, you know we're, we're starting to get down to NBA and NHL, like playoff seeding time. Teams are clinching playoff spots, and you can bet on those kinds of futures. You can even bet on NFL futures if you so choose like whether or not you think the Vikings will make the playoffs over under win totals just got released at FanDuel. All that stuff is great. And it's a great time to, to sign up because no uh, new gramblers get a no sweat first bet. If you sign up via FanDuel.com slash locked on, that means if you whiff on your first bet, don't worry about it. You can get up to a thousand dollars back in bonus bets. Once again, that is FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, make every moment more. You're probably familiar with the concept of opportunity cost, but just in case, um, that means it's a, a hidden cost in a certain action or decision based on what you could have done instead. Right. The, the classic example is it costs $15 to go to the movies, to, to play hooky from work and go to the movies. But if you also miss out on that day's paycheck, it cost you, let's say that day's paycheck was going to be $20. It cost you $35 to go to the movies in reality, right? Because you missed out on 20 bucks to play hooky and you also paid 15 bucks for the movie ticket. I don't know what kind of economy that is that I just made up, but I don't know if I want to be a part of it. <laughs> where, where it takes a full day's pay to go to the movies. But anyways, you get it, right? The The idea is that we need to be really um, vigilant about assessing every little cost that we are actually incurring. And, you know, when I talk about um, two kinds of currency, you'll hear me say that on this show all the time, because I'll see charts all the time and from people with like, analytics backgrounds, people who are doing good work in math, and then they'll post some chart about like, this is, you know, draft capital spent by position. And 
nothing about cap space spent on position by position uh or you know this is the hidden cost is schematic capital spent by position the idea of well you know so and so's scheme doesn't really need linebackers so they don't really spend on linebackers well that just means that their scheme is designed such that they're asking a lot more of everybody else and you know the the easiest example there i guess is um you know a tight end chipping you're not going to spend a lot on your tackles because you're going to ask your tight ends to chip a lot let's say um, you know, why would I spend a bunch of money on a tackle when I can, you know, just chip every play, have a cheapo guy there, and then I can spend a whole bunch more money on my on my wide receiver or something like that, right? But having your tight end chip slows him down, um, you know, screws with the, uh, the, the route concepts you can do, gives whoever has him in coverage that much easier of a job, too, because there's this... Um, you know, because they're not doing anything fancy on the release. They can't, you know, actually set you up on a release to run a route like you would in a man-to-man situation. All of those things are costs, and I refer to those costs as schematic capital. If you are adjusting your scheme to hide a certain player, then you're kind of spending, in a sense, because that's a finite thing. You can't hide every single player. So if you're going to spend a lot of draft capital on one position and a lot of uh, financial capital on another position, and then a third position will be bad, and so you have to scheme around him, you're spending schematic capital. I really try to be studious about what costs I the, the team is incurring in all facets. Even things like approaching a player and asking him to play, take a pay cut has something of a cost, because you are damaging your relationship with that player. Even if it's a fully amicable situation, that player is still going to be that much less likely to sign a contract with you because now they know that that's a trick that you'll pull. And if you set up a contract that leaves, this is what Zedaria Smith is going through right now. His contract currently, the Vikings could absolutely go up to him and say, hey, take a pay cut or we'll cut you and put him in that position. He doesn't want to be in that position. He wants a new contract. Um, so there is a, and and that is a cost that they are incurring, kind of because they did it with like three other players this year. And Zadarius Smith doesn't want to be the next guy for that to happen. And so part of the cost of, say, going up to Adam Thielen and saying, pay cut or we're going to release you and you can go become a Panther, is that players like Zadarius Smith will become worried that it will happen to them. And now the Vikings probably have to pay Zadarius Smith more money. They probably were going to have to anyways, but that like further complicates that negotiation process. Those are costs. Opportunity cost in the draft is um, rooted in the fact that, hey, if I am sitting at pick 10 and I want, you know, there's three different players that I want and I choose one, I am now no longer getting the other two unless they fall to me at my pick in the second round, but you kind of aren't expecting that. Um, and so for all the players you can like and want in the first round, you only ever get to have one of them. Um, I see this kind of analysis a lot and it bugs me where you'll see like that. It's that same chart. That's like, you know, this team really spends a lot of first round picks on cornerbacks or you'll look at their first round picks over the last, you know, seven, eight years and say, man, they, they have, they've never taken a defensive end in the first round. I don't think they're going to take a defensive end in the first round. They must not really prioritize defensive ends because they don't take them in the first round. But really you could have a, a big board where you're high. This is where I'm at this year right now. Um, I'm really high on a lot of cornerbacks. There's like seven cornerbacks that I would genuinely be 
eight, you could talk me into being like first round talents that they should take at 23. I think I've got five of them that I actually would take in at 23. And there's a couple that you could probably talk me into if you tried. And I think cornerbacks, the biggest need for the Vikings right now. I think that's the one that they need the most help at. I think that's the room that looks the worst. That needs the biggest infusion of talent. Um, I think wide receiver comes in second and at the Vikings pick at 23, that cup cupboard is a, is a lot more bare for what I expect uh, to be available in terms of talent. So let's say Zay Flowers is available at 23. He's somebody I would take at 23. Um, I will probably do a, an episode on that soon. But for now, again, just just bear with me. If you disagree, that's fine. Uh, but I would take Zay Flowers at 23. And, and I don't anticipate there being a lot of other guys available at 23 that I would take there at the wide receiver position. Um, I, I don't think Smith and Jigbo will be there. I don't think Jordan Addison will be there. I don't think Quentin Johnston will be there. And I actually wouldn't take him. At, I'm not, I'm not that high on him. Um, so there's like seven corners I would take, and there's going to be like one, there's four receivers I would take three receivers I would take right now. Um, at, at 23. So if one of those receivers is available at 23, I'm taking the receiver, right? Cause I am, have a decent chance that I'm going to be able to get one of those corners later in the draft. That doesn't mean I prioritized wide receiver higher. I just told you I don't, I, I prioritize a uh, cornerback higher right now, but it's not about the priority. It's about scarcity. That's the, the real word of the day, I guess is scarcity and opportunity cost. If I chosen a cornerback, I am removing the opportunity to take a wide receiver and the world where I didn't take a wide receiver hurts that position more than the world where I didn't take a cornerback and I can still maybe get like Clark Phillips on day two, which I'd be plenty happy with. If you, if I walked away with Clark Phillips and Zay Flowers, I actually think that's one of the better uh, draft weekends the Vikings could have if they walked away with those two players. And the reason for that is that I'm factoring in opportunity cost and scarcity and all of that stuff. Um, I could go on about a lot of this stuff, but instead let's table some of these conversations as they come up. I got mock draft Monday coming up next week. Check out Luke Inman's draft letter, Twitter Tuesday as well next week as usual. And we are getting down to it folks, 20 days and counting until the NFL draft. We are getting there. I will see you all next week. And as always skull.